Folks, have you checked out the Irish History Podcast shop recently? Right now, I have a sale of 30% off everything when you use the code SALE30. So go to irishhistorypodcast.ie forward slash shop and get 30% off everything when you use the discount code SALE30. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Shortly after 10 o'clock in the evening, on May the 10th, 1943, a tremendous explosion shook the heavens and a brilliant blinding flash of light illuminated the countryside, lighting up mountains many miles to the rear. So goes an eyewitness account from a World War II explosion, but it's not from a great battlefield such as the beaches of D-Day or the like, nor does it relate to the only German bombing of Ireland during World War II when Dublin and the surrounding counties were attacked in 1941. Instead, this is the forgotten story of the devastation that took place on the remote beach of Ballymanus, County Donegal, an explosion that inflicted horrific losses on a rural community. However, we need to retrace our steps somewhat as this episode begins in an unusual place, the story of a family photograph forgotten for decades. The idea for this show began with a series of photos taken by my grandfather nearly 75 years ago on the island of Inishman in the summer of 1942. Inishman is one of the three Aran Islands situated off the west coast of Ireland and faces out onto the Atlantic Ocean. The three islands are Gwaeltocht areas where the Irish language is still spoken on a daily basis. In the 1940s these remote islands had changed little during the 20th century. This was the world that my grandfather, Eamon Costello, captured in this series of photographs. Eamon, a man who had died before I was born, had a love of the Irish language and culture. He travelled to Inishman to immerse himself in what many regarded as the essence of this culture unspoiled by modernity. He surely wasn't disappointed. His pictures reveal a traditional life on the island largely untouched by the 20th century. The dress, the customs and lifestyle of the islanders evident in the pictures now seems to belong to another universe, let alone another century. 
Islanders lived in small, thatched cottages while they preserved customs handed down from one generation to the next that had long been neglected elsewhere. In one picture, a boy, perhaps of five or maybe six, is seen wearing a dress. This practice of male children wearing dresses was common across Europe until the turn of the 20th century, but had died out in most regions by 1942. While these pictures of this now disappeared world are fascinating, one in the collection stands apart. It's a bit out of place among the other scenes which largely show traditional life as it was an Inish man. This picture was anything but traditional. My grandfather is seated in front of a dry stone wall like those common across the west of Ireland. He seems very calm and relaxed. Then to his right is a large spherical metallic object that looks completely out of place in what is otherwise a serene environment. Measuring around a metre in diameter, this object is a sea mine from World War II. My grandfather's right arm is resting on one of the several detonators that protrude from the surface. Once pressed, these detonators triggered a pretty considerable explosion, given there was around 200 kilos of explosives packed inside the mine. Now, when I first saw the picture, it seemed quirky and maybe symbolic of Ireland during World War II. During the war from 1939 to 1945, Ireland remained neutral while the conflict erupted on all sides. Indeed, in that summer of 1942, as my grandfather visited Inishman, darkness loomed on all horizons. Out in the steppes of Russia, over a quarter of a million German soldiers were bearing down on the city of Stalingrad and a Nazi victory over the Soviet Union seemed inevitable. In North Africa, in the blistering desert summer sun, the Allies were on the retreat, having been hounded back around 500 kilometres across the sands of the northern Sahara Desert. They had only prevented the Nazis capturing the Egyptian port of Alexandria in a desperate struggle at the First Battle of El Alamein. Then to the west, the Battle of the Atlantic had raged. The entry of the United States of America into the war on the Allied side in December 1941 had seen this battle for control of the Atlantic shipping lanes intensify. In this crucial battle, the Nazis seemed to be also gaining the upper hand in 1942 by inflicting heavy losses on Allied shipping. While all this was going on, the Irish Free State stubbornly remained neutral, refusing to lend support to either side. In this context, the picture of my grandfather intrigued me. I thought it perfectly encapsulated Ireland during the war. There he is, seemingly nonchalantly posing for a picture beside a sea mine on a picturesque island, seemingly oblivious to the dangers posed. Indeed, the picture reinforced the idea that this tranquil island off the west coast of Ireland was perhaps the best place to spend the war. However, when I did some research, I quickly found that this assumption was far from true. While Ireland's most isolated and rural communities were far from conflict zones, they still faced considerable risks, far more than most in Ireland, in fact. Many communities in the west of Ireland lived in fear during the early years of the war in particular. The cause of their fears was the hundreds, maybe even thousands of sea mines, like the one my grandfather posed beside, which had washed ashore. All too many of these exploded, and there were casualties, some really horrific, as we shall see. To understand this, we need to return to 1939, when war in Europe broke out. On September the 1st, 1939, the Second World War in Europe began. 
Tensions had been building throughout the 1930s, but when the German army invaded Poland, this proved to be the decisive moment. Two days later, the United Kingdom and France declared war on Germany. Controversially, as I've said, the government of the Irish Free State decided it would remain neutral. Even when the war intensified, the British and American governments put huge pressure on the Free State government to back the Allies. Ireland's deep water ports were strategically very important, but the de Valera government refused. That said, the entire island wasn't neutral. The six counties in Northern Ireland, as part of the United Kingdom, were at war, and Belfast was targeted by the German Air Force, the Luftwaffe. However, even the southern 26 counties did not emerge completely unscathed. On one occasion, German bombers hit targets in several counties across Ireland. It is generally thought that these attacks were accidental, with pilots either thinking they had reached British cities or were possibly dumping explosives to lighten their load for a journey home. While a few people did die in these attacks, it's not widely known that in fact sea mines killed far more Irish people during the war. It had been clear that once war broke out between Britain and Germany in 1939, that naval war would be hugely important, and key to any naval war would be sea mines, which could be used to close shipping lanes to enemy fleets. As early as six days into the war, on September the 9th, 1939, the fear of sea mines had already seen the price of fish in Dublin's markets increase. It was reported that Dublin fishermen were fearful of venturing into the strategic shipping lanes of the Irish Sea. While such fears were almost certainly premature, it's difficult to imagine how the Germans could have mined the Irish Sea that quickly. In the following years, the fears of fishermen were materialised. The British Navy soon began laying what was known as the Northern Barrage. This consisted of several hundred thousand sea mines in a vast arc from Germany all the way to Iceland. By August 1940, the German Navy announced they had in turn mined the Irish Sea in an effort to impose a total blockade to starve the British into submission. This in effect now saw Ireland surrounded by what were floating bombs. While they were usually moored to the sea floor, they still broke free and ocean currents carried them to the Irish coast. Now if people in Ireland were unaware of the dangers of sea mines, within weeks of the war beginning, Irish papers started to carry stories that highlighted the realities of the dangers posed. On December 12th, 1939, the SS Inverlin struck a mine and was badly damaged. Her captain was a Belfast man, while the second officer was a certain H.P. Cullen from Dublin. They were both safe, while a third Irish man on board, Charles Nugent from Navan County Meath, was hospitalised. Only a few weeks later, sea mines claimed the first Irish lives. William Kennedy, a Belfast man, and his son Norman, who was on his maiden voyage, were killed when the freighter, the Box Hill, was sunk. And then, only a week later, a Waterford man, David Butler, was killed when the oil tanker, British Liberty, sank after a mine holed her. However, within less than a year, people soon found that even those who never left shore were vulnerable. While sea mines were anchored to the ocean floor, as I mentioned earlier, they frequently broke free and presented very real dangers. The first record of a mine near the coast was from February 1940, when one was spotted floating in Cork Harbour. The Irish army was quickly dispatched and they detonated the mine in a controlled explosion. However, this was only the beginning. Sea mines soon became a common occurrence along the south and east coast, and in particular the coast of Wexford. 
in late January 1940, perhaps having been broken free in winter storms, dozens of mines drifted ashore in Ireland. In Wexford, several houses along the coast were damaged when mines were detonated by hitting cliffs or seawalls in ports. The impact was considerable. When one sea mine exploded along the coast of Hoth in North Dublin, it blew an estimated 50 tonnes of rocks 250 feet into the air. While the coast of Wexford was most heavily impacted, the most devastating impact of these mines was in the more remote parts of Ireland. For example, a very serious situation developed in Tory Island in 1942. Tory is situated in an isolated spot off the north coast of Donegal. When a mine was carried close to the shore by heavy seas, it continually knocked against the rocky coastline, but failed to explode. While the army dispatched an explosive team to Falcara, the nearest port, they could not travel to the island for several days due to heavy seas. This left the islanders in a highly precarious situation, waiting for the mine to detonate in what would have been a considerable explosion. On that occasion, the army eventually reached the island and detonated the mine, but this was not always possible. When mines drifted ashore on the island of Inishark, this rendered the entire population vulnerable. The island, which was inhabited by around 100 people, had no pier and was often inaccessible for several months in the depths of winter. To make matters worse, the island's small settlement was situated in a vulnerable spot with no hills or natural features for protection. In locations like this, all the islanders could do was retreat around 300 feet away from the location of the mine, leaving all windows and doors in their houses open. Otherwise, if they didn't, these would be blown out in the event of an explosion. On one occasion, in late May 1942, Three incredibly brave fishermen from Inishark had to take their lives in their hands and row out to an approaching mine and tow it away from the shore and anchored to the seabed in a safe location. They did this by travelling in a boat called a curroch, nothing more than a wooden frame covered in canvas. If that mine had detonated, they would have literally been blown to pieces. One can only imagine the fear they had to overcome to do this. While they managed to carry out this task successfully, that mine was only one of several that came ashore in May 1942 and sadly another in the same area caused the first major tragedy. This took place a few weeks before my grandfather set out for Inishman in that summer of 1942. In June, dozens of mines were spotted off the west coast of Connemara from Spiddle all the way to Lenan. Within a short time, over 20 had been detonated in controlled explosions. However, this could not prevent tragedy. On June 1st, 1942, four men from Inishboffin, an island near Inishark, left a pier on the mainland to travel home. Around 30 minutes after they set out in darkness, a terrific, deafening explosion rattled windows along the coast. The following day, when the island men did not appear on Inishboffin, it was obvious what had happened. Tragically, their bodies were never found, save a headless and legless torso which washed ashore on Ackle Island further up the coast a few weeks later. Horrific as this tragedy was, it was dwarfed by an even greater loss of life in the following year of 1943. This took place at Ballymanus Beach in Donegal, the most northwesterly county in Ireland, on May 10th that year. The scale of the tragedy was horrific. Unlike the Inishboffin explosion, there had been all too many witnesses. 
That quote from the beginning of the show was how one person recalled the event. Just to refresh your memory, they had said, Shortly after 10 o'clock, a tremendous explosion shook the heavens and a brilliant, blinding flash of light illuminated the countryside, lighting up mountains many miles to the rear. Within seconds of the explosion, 18 people lay dead or dying, bleeding onto what had once been a picturesque, pristine, sandy beach. The scene afterwards was one of utter carnage, so much so that some of those who had been close to the explosion could not be identified in the aftermath. The event was a terrible tragedy. The mine had been spotted much earlier in the day, some way offshore. However, as the tide came in that evening, the mine was carried closer and closer. A crowd had gathered, and while a Lieutenant Dunleavy from the army was present and warned people to stay well back, naturally curiosity won the day. Unfortunately, after a mine struck a rock and didn't explode, the crowd, believing it was more stable than it actually was, began to emerge from behind a hill where they had been seeking protection and began to move towards the mine. Accounts differ, but it seems that some people had tied ropes to the device and were beginning to haul it ashore in order to remove it from the sea. No doubt they felt it was safer on land than drifting up and down the shore. It was at this point that the mine exploded, wiping out a generation of young people from this rural community. The youngest to die was only 17, the oldest 34. One family alone lost three sons. Perhaps adding to the tragic nature of this event, the zenith of the war in the Atlantic Ocean was already passing. May 1943 saw the Allies sink 25% of the German U-boat fleet, which heavily impacted their capability to wage war. Indeed, not long afterwards, the Allies stopped mining the major seaways in the North Atlantic Ocean. These horrific events of May 1943 were the last deaths in Ireland arising from sea mines. Perhaps people were more aware of the risks posed by them, but also there were no new fields being laid after May once the Allies had gained the upper hand. However, the threat from existing mines did remain a constant for many years to come. While major efforts were made to remove sea mines after the end of the war in 1945, it was an impossible task, and throughout the 1940s mines continued to turn up off the coast, needing to be disarmed. Indeed, as late as 1968, a live sea mine was found off the coast of Wexford, while in 1977 another drifted ashore in Kylemore Quay also in Wexford. That brings another show to an end. I am currently putting an episode together on the controversial topic of the truth behind the claims of Irish slavery in the Americas. That will be a few weeks in the making. Until next time, Sloan. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello 
HelloFresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.